Uh, the other person is maybe you're a family member of one of the children or the uh, youth that perform, and you wanted to see a performance. Thank you for that. Or you are a part of this church. You say, hey, man, this is my church, but I don't come regularly. I want you to hear my heart here today. Easter is not a time for us to make up for what we didn't do during the year for God. This is not a time for that. We're not that kind of a religion. You know, I have, I have friends that are Muslims, and they think about Ramadan as catching up, and that, that's their time to catch up. That's not what we do as Christians. There's no religious work that can get you into heaven. You can't catch up. So I just want all three of you to listen to me real quickly here, please. If you're, if you're visiting, we love you. We're here. You're, you're always welcome as long as you don't hurt anybody or want to stop what we're doing, okay? Sometimes you have to say that because other people... They think uh, everybody's welcome, and that means the school shooter is welcome. God forbid. That's not what we're talking about. Everybody listening to me? When we say everyone is welcome, we mean you don't want to hurt us nor what we're doing here. So how many are glad you came today? Amen. You don't want to hurt us? No? You're here for the right reasons? All right. Good. Well, you're our guest. You can come anytime you want. Everyone is welcome in those ways. Well, if you're looking for a church, listen to what the Bible says. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If you're looking for a church, my heart for you is that you would find one like this that makes disciples. Because we're not here for the production, the performance. We do this maybe once or twice a year, Christmas, Easter's, or performance production. But every day we're a church. Yesterday we were at Portage Park preaching the gospel. We don't send out those who are weird to go be evangelists. Sometimes you go to a church, those who go out and preach the gospel, they're the weird ones holding the signs or something. No, we send our best. We believe that our best go and preach the gospel. So we're not ashamed of that. That's what we do here as a church. We make disciples as a church. We welcome you to join with us. But I want to let you know we're probably one of the most hated churches in Chicago because of that. People don't like us. People mock us. They make fun of us. They ridicule us. Those who came here today, uh, you already bore a burden of shame, maybe if someone already knew about us. Maybe you don't know about us in that way. Praise God. Just be happy you're here then. <laughs> uh, but no, but we bear a shame. We bear a reproach in our culture. Our culture does not like us. They look down on us. They call us bad names. They try to hurt us. They try to stop what we're doing. But you know what? We keep doing what we're doing because we love Jesus. We love people. We believe it's worth it. In other words, when I hear the complaints that people say about our church, uh, I don't think they understand how much I love my church and how much I love what we're doing. Their complaints don't make me want to change at all. It just makes me want to stop inviting them. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. Just take the address off the website, change our location. Now you only come if we want you to come, okay? I just mean that because I'm so proud of what we do. Uh, I know that those who come to this church lay down their lives for the gospel. I had a guest speaker a couple weeks ago uh, hearing what we were doing uh, during worship, and it was powerful, and he came into my office, and he says, is it like this every Sunday? I said, yeah, it's just what we do. This is normal for us. So if you're looking for a church, look for a church that will make you a disciple, a church that's not going to entertain you and make it all about you. See, like Easter, it's not about you. It's not about our children. It's not about our youth. What they're trying to do is show us, show you, you know, those of us who receive from them, I receive, is that it's about Jesus. The Christian testimony has been born through 2,000 years of pain and heartache. We came from a place of persecution. Sometimes in American culture, because Christianity grew so rapidly here and we did so well, we got accustomed to being on top, you know, 
It's our God. You know, it's our way of doing things. It's our Bible. You want to go to court, you swear on this. You know, you're not swearing on the Quran. You're not swearing on the Bhagavad Gita. You're swearing on this, you know. Now, you can request for something different, but, you know, it's this. You, you watch our Super Bowl heroes, you know. I mean, they're, they're, they're talking. When they're pointing up, they're not pointing to anybody else but Jesus. Are you listening to me? The cross, you know, Ten Commandments. Um, I lost a dear friend of mine last week. I'll be driving down south. I'll be seeing crosses everywhere. There's a cross going from here down south that's about the size of the Statue of Liberty, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. It's huge, okay? But now we're on the losing side. Now we're on the other side. Now we're mocked. Now we're ridiculed. You can listen to shows like America's Got Talent, and everybody will be applauded. You can see a woman come in a hijab. She'll be applauded. Thank you for expressing yourself. You'll see a transgender person. They'll be expressing themselves. Uh, you'll see a boy dress in a, in a dress and be expressing himself. But you'll never hear the Christian be able to express themselves because they don't want you to hear it anymore. You, they, they don't want you to hear on America's Got Talent, I used to be homosexual, but now I'm living as God intended me. They're, they're not going to air that. That doesn't give the right narrative. And so you want to find a church that's not ashamed of Jesus, that's not ashamed of the gospel, that's devoted to your spiritual growth. And I say this all the time, no matter how many people don't hear it, I say it all the time, we're not the only ones. So if this is not a place for you, then find a place that is for you where you can be a disciple. The second thing is a supporter of a production. What we do as Christians, and, and it's always been a part of our culture, is to produce things for the society. If you look at Christian art, if you look at Christian universities, uh, Christians have always been the best at these things. It's only until recently that now you can sing about Satan and Satanism and put on horns and get attention. But that's not the way it used to be. When you think about all the great musicians in America, all of them were Christians. Are you guys listening to me? Elvis Presley, was he a Buddhist, Muslim, or a Christian? What was he? A Christian. I mean, you just go through all the thing, you know. Uh, all the different actors, uh, they were all Christian, right? And we did it well. We did it good. But then what happened? Christians stopped living like Christians. Christians stopped singing like Christians. Christians stopped acting like Christians in, in the acting sense. And now just anything goes. And, of course, you'll still see somebody wearing a cross. You know, every now and then you'll see them doing something like that. But they don't know how to give a production. See, for us as Christians, we do our productions for Jesus, even if it's a movie about something bad and we're going to act it out so that you don't do the bad thing, the Christian wants to do that for Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're supporting a production, support Christian production. Support what Christians do. Get behind the movement of God in the Christian church. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing, keep doing it with us. Like young people, you want to do it, keep doing it. If you want to take it to the whole nother level, take it to a whole nother level. I'm excited for it. I think that we're just tapping into your guys' talent. You know, if... You know, FaZe Rug. If FaZe Rug can get like 20 million followers, why can't you get 20 million followers? FaZe Rug is just leading them off the cliff. Now, I don't know his spiritual background, but, it, you know, it, it's a wide path. And, you know, I don't hear him talk about Jesus, so it's a wide path. You know that Mr. Beast used to be a Christian. He used to have a top of his, his thing on YouTube, not ashamed of the gospel. Then he goes to Logan Paul's show, and now he cusses out. Uh, you know, he uses cuss words, and he swears about God, you know, takes his name in vain. Man, these people were big time, right? Mr. Beast and all this. And, and we're not doing it for the Lord anymore. But I want to encourage this church to do those right things. And then the last uh, person here, a distant Metro Praise disciple. Maybe something like provoked you and you said, man, I need to get to church today. We welcome you. We're glad that you're here. But come back next week. Get back involved in discipleship. Take up the cross, man. I know that you have other things on your mind. You have other things that you're doing. But take up the cross of Jesus Christ and live holy for Jesus. 
Some of you are distant because you're in sin. You know, don't live in sin. Don't live in sin anymore. The Bible says that living in sin will cost you eternity. So I want you to hear my heart. If you're our guest here today, we love you. We welcome you back. But we want you to understand this is what we are going to do. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So as we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection, that's actually spiritual for all of us. We're going to die to our old ways, be buried, and raise up and live a new life for Jesus. Amen? He then goes on to say, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. So anyone who thinks you're gaining something by compromising, you're not. You might as well just go all in. You might as well just let them know where you stand. You might as well just let the whole world know, I'm, I'm down for Jesus. This is what I'm about. And then go forward. Because if you try to save it, if you try to hold on to it, the Bible says you will lose it. For whoever loses their life for me will find it. What a prideful, arrogant thing for a mere prophet to say. This, is, this would be blasphemy for Moses to say this. Give up your life for me. You never hear a prophet talk like this. Elijah, for him to talk like this, this would be blasphemy. But the Son of God, he can say me. Notice how he says me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for who? For me. For Jesus will find it. That means Jesus is equal to his Father. Jesus is the Son of the Father, but equal in nature. My Son comes from me, but we're equal in human nature. Are you listening to me? The Father sends the Son, but the Father and Son are of the same nature. Only God in the flesh could say, lose your life for me, and then you'll find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for their soul? You can't give anything that's worth the value of your soul. Only God is worth the value of your soul. There's nothing here that you can exchange for your soul. Can I hear an amen? Amen. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory. Notice he's saying, I'm a man, I'm looking like you, but I'm the Son of the Father, and I'm going to come in my Father's glory. No mere angel can come in the Father's glory. Are you listening to me? Not a prophet can come in the Father's glory, but the Son of God can come in his Father's glory with his angels. So the Son controls the angels of God, and then he, who will reward Jesus? He will reward each person according to what they have done. So when the Bible says God will judge you, God will judge you, according to Jesus, who is the God that judges? The Son God the Son judges us on behalf of the Father, and he will reward us according to what we have done. He is our judge. Can I hear an amen? If you believe it. So if you're looking for a church, come to a great church. Come back this week uh, to the life groups, to the evangelism. If you're looking for a production, get busy for doing things for Jesus. Amen? And then if you're a distant Metro Praise disciple, get back on fire for Jesus. Let this be a reminder that living for Jesus is not something we compromise. It's of the most importance. Amen. Now open up your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation. Are you ready for the sermon? That was just the introduction. That was the sermon before the sermon. Today I want to talk to you about Jesus being alive. We're going to look to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ in the end times and how he's going to come and how he's going to judge the world. But he starts off in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, talking to John, the apostle, that very one who was with him by the cross. Notice this, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which he gave him to show his servants of, uh, excuse me, the revelation 
revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, take it to heart, and see what is written, because the time is what? The time is near. Now look at the next verse, John. He's now going to explain to us who he is and what revelation he got. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. There is your trinity here referring to the Father who is, who was, and who is to come. Seven spirits of God manifested by the Holy Spirit before his throne and then from Jesus Christ. This grace and peace is an invocation of prayer. John is praying to the Father, to the Holy Spirit, and to the Son. Does everybody see that there? I cannot wish you grace and peace in the name of the angel Gabriel. Are you all listening? I cannot wish you grace and peace in the name of the angel Michael. I cannot wish you grace and peace even in my name. Grace and peace John is giving from he who, wa- who is, who was, and who is to come. We know that as the Father from the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit before his throne, and then Jesus Christ right there with him at the throne, one throne shared by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, talking about Jesus, and the rulers of the kings of the earth? Notice these two things we learn about Jesus. He is the firstborn from the dead. People had been raised from the dead before this, but they had to eventually die. He is the only one to have died and then to be raised never to die again. The firstborn from the dead. He is now the one who defeats death, hell, and the grave. And by him, we can defeat death, hell, and the grave. But what also is he? He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. There is nobody like our Jesus. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is not second to anyone. Every knee will bow and tongue confess before him that he is Lord of all, equal to the Father, glorious in his power. But notice this. To him who loves us, notice the love that he gives us by doing these things. He's a a just and a kind, loving ruler to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his what? By his what? By his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. I want you to think about this for a few moments. John the apostle was the one who stuck with Jesus all the way up into his crucifixion and his death. He's the one that Jesus says, take care of my mother Mary. Anybody remember that? That's in the book of John. We'll be getting to that soon as we continue on in our series. And so John is very important to Jesus. He was the youngest of the disciples, and he was the one that is now living the longest, and he's really the only one that doesn't die a martyr's death. All the rest of them are martyred. And yet John is spared, but it's not that they didn't try. They tried to martyr him, but they couldn't do it. And so here he is as an old man on the island of Patmos, as we'll learn about here in just a few moments. And here he is being able to see Jesus 
And what is he told to expect? Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So those who pierced Jesus will know who he is in the end. And all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Now look at verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the what? In the what? In the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. On the Lord's day, I was in the what? In the spirit, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergium, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to look to the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw those seven golden lampstands, and among those lampstands was one like the Son of Man dressed, now notice this, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was shining in all of its brilliance. It was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Then I saw him. I fell at his feet, though dead. He placed his right hand on me. And now what does he say? And this is red letters because it helps us know Jesus is talking. But what does Jesus say to him? Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. How many firsts can there be? How many? If Jesus is the first and the Father is the first, does that mean there's two firsts? It means he's equal with the Father. No one comes before Jesus just like no one comes before the Father. He is the what? The first, and then what is he? The last. All religions recognize this in their holy text, talking about a first and a last, and they attribute that to their greatest deity, to the God that they serve. Jesus is saying, I'm the first, I'm the last, I hold this whole thing in my arms, in my hands. He said, I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I want you to think about who Jesus is. And what this meant for him to die on the cross for our sins. What it means to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian. You see, John was there that day that Jesus died on the cross. He saw him breathe his last breath. John understood that that man he had followed had died. And yet that very one had claimed to be God in the flesh. If God is God in the flesh, how can he die? How can he eat? How does he get tired? How does he come through a woman's womb? How is this even possible? A God would never do such things. That's what people say all the time about our Jesus. And yet, he had to learn, John, as all of the other Jewish people had to learn, that this was the promise to their prophets. Look quickly in Isaiah 53. There was a promise that a one that is godly and perfect, would come and die for their sins. But guess what? There's a problem. No Israelite is without sin themselves. So who's going to be this one? Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Go down to verse 4, please. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. This is the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. Notice the words. He was pierced for our transgressions. A prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus being told about his death. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now notice this, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. How can Jesus, or rather how can an Israelite, take on the sins of all of Israel and all of the world unless they themselves are pure and holy? Because doesn't it say that the iniquity of us all was laid on him? Well, if he had his own sin, how can he be our Savior? If you have AIDS, how can you be the one that gives the blood transfusion? Are you all listening? Jesus had to have a different nature if he was going to infuse into us life. If you all have AIDS right now, just put, put the word AIDS instead of a sin here. The Lord laid on him the AIDS of us all. All of us had AIDS. If it goes on him to take it away, if it goes on him and he has AIDS, how is he our cure? He was not a sinner like us. He was not sinful like us. He was not falling for the same things that we did. He lived perfect unlike us. And yet, he could die like us. He could suffer like us. Now you understand the two natures of Jesus. Go to Philippians chapter 2, please. Now you're understanding why the Christians wrestled with this. It wasn't that they were trying to make a man God. They were trying to understand how God became this man. All of the, Hebrew, uh, all of the uh, heathen religions had men that became gods. Or half God, half man creatures. They all understood things like that. But this was a different kind of story. This was something that was unique to Christianity. He was God from the beginning, yet he became like us and humbled himself not to rule and reign over us as a king would or as someone like Thor would to come show off, but no, comes to die for us. This was unheard of. Are you listening? Who being in very nature God, speaking about Jesus, Paul the Apostle here, Philippians 2, 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was equal to God, but he doesn't use that to his advantage. My son bears my name, but he doesn't use it to his advantage in this church and ask you for money, does he? Well, my dad takes up an offering. Well, why don't you give me an offering? I'm a Wyrostic. Does he take advantage of his name? No, my son knows better than that. Jesus did not take advantage of being equal to his father. Rather, he made himself what? He made himself a ruler, conquered nations, and took sex slaves and many wives? No, what did he do? He made himself nothing. That's why the Jewish people didn't accept him. Because he didn't come like David did. He didn't come fighting battles, taking the women. He didn't come conquering as other religions did. He didn't come showing off his power. The Bible says he came as nothing. If you would have seen Jesus walking down the street, you would not have been able to pick him out of the crowd. He didn't look like Brad Pitt. He wasn't a sexy Julio Iglesias. He didn't look like somebody you would want to be around just because they were popular or good looking. He had nothing of outside appearance to draw you to him. He literally looked like a nothing. He looked like the average person that would pass you by. That's why people were so amazed at what God was doing through him. They couldn't understand it because he didn't look like the rest of them that were educated or that were popular or that were political. He just looked like an ordinary guy, and yet he was doing the most extraordinary things. Why? Because he was equal to the Father.
He was sent here on a mission. And he made himself nothing so that we would follow him, not based on the lightning bolts that he would send out of his hands or follow him based on his good looks like Thor, but we would follow him based on his heart and obedience to the Father, that he would be an example to us. This is what it looks like when you serve the Father. I'll come down and show you myself. That's what the Son of God is doing. The Son of God is showing us, this is how I serve my Father. I will show you that. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's why when people come to us and they try to mock our Jesus and it says, oh, he said he can do nothing unless the Father gives him permission. How can that be God? He says elsewhere that the Father is his God. How could he be God? Does God have a God? And they confuse the humility of the Son for thinking that's not what he is in nature. At some point, my Son is going to be as strong as me, and yet he will still serve me and love me and follow me and listen to everything I say. Will he not? Come on, will he not? Jesus is equal to the Father, could do whatever he wanted in that nature, and yet he shows us how to serve the Father, how to love the Father, how to obey the Father, how to worship the Father. That is our Jesus, and yet when it comes to the crucifixion, he is very clear. I lay down my life, and I have the power to rise it again. It is not just my Father who will raise me. Jesus says, I will raise myself. Find that scripture for me, please, Lord. Help them in the back as we continue through. I want you to see that Jesus not only was raised by the Father, the Father participating in it, but Jesus said, I will raise myself and show you I have the power. But notice this. He said, Paul said he came in the nature of a servant and human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, and God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of what? That at the name of who? The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord, thank you, to the glory of God the Father. I don't just have my life taken, he said. I lay it down, and I will raise it up. Please get that scripture for me, brothers. Now you can put it up there. The Bible teaches us that our Jesus is alive because this was the plan of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, each person working together for our redemption. And we ought not to take this as just mere, uh, you know, Easter trivial facts like, oh, Pastor, I already know that. That's, that's the Easter message. No, we should understand that this is the very heart and foundation of the entire world. In other words, if Jesus does not rise, we all have no hope. No one has any hope without Christ. Oftentimes I hear people talking about them investigating Christianity from a neutral point of view. And then they come to these questions and things that they can't reason within themselves. And they find that it's a safer bet for them to take the position of an agnostic as someone who really doesn't know, man, how can I be sure I wasn't there? I want everyone to understand this. Jesus Christ will judge you. And Jesus Christ will not feel sorry for you by not seeking him while he may be found. I talk to those kinds of people and I ask them, well, what effort, what mental effort, what physical effort are you putting into the knowledge of God? And they're putting none. And yet they say, I'm not convinced. You spiritual oompa loompa, what is wrong with you? 
You put more time into the new, uh, the new video games. You put your time into these new uh, songs to memorize these things. You put your time into the, the new app on your phone to play some game, and yet you won't put your mind to the things of God? We have people right now that are trying to achieve the goal to put a person on Mars, and you won't understand your own creator. It's foolishness. It's not that we're so smart we can't figure it out and it's confusing. No, we are spiritually incompetent in our own pride to get past what God has already said. We want to act like we don't understand. No, 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 we understand clearly. Let's be honest. You don't think anybody out here on the streets understands? God made the male and female. You don't think they understand that? They understand that. They don't want to understand it. You all tracking with me? You don't think they understand the concept of heaven and hell? I'm being very honest with you. You don't think they understand? They understand the concept of how hard is it to understand. You don't live for Jesus, you go to hell. No, 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 no. Do you understand that? Argue with it later, but do you understand it? They do. They know they understand it. How about this? The only one to have ever been witnessed to raise from the dead and ascend to heaven is the one I'm preaching right now. Don't get confused and say, well, what about Buddha? What about Bahamut? What about? I'm talking about somebody who raised from the dead. Do you have one like that? I don't want to study comparative religion with you right now. I want you to recognize the one we're talking about is on a whole nother level. Can you understand that? They do understand. They just don't want to understand it, young people. They want to act like they're confused. They want to act like, man, I don't get it, man. It's so, it's so hard for me. No, it's easy. This is easy. The Bible says this gospel will go to the whole world. That's why it's growing now faster than populations can even come up with. In Central and South America, where our brother Wayman is going, it's growing 200, 300% the population of the, of the growth there in those nations. Outgrowing their even birth rate because they understand it. It's simple. And yet in America, we want to take steps back away from this and try to replace it with our own man-made centered ideas. And these things cannot compare to the knowledge of God. Jesus said this, the reason why my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Notice how the father was proud of his son. This is before Jesus goes to the cross. The reason the father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it back up again. Can anybody else say that? No, a suicidal person can't even say that. They might say, I lay it down, but you ain't taking it back up, Jack. Hello? Ain't nobody you know, no religious figure, no person has ever walked this planet can say those words and back it up. I will lay down my life, and then I will pick it back up again. That's why, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter whether he was white, black, pink, or purple. As long as he bled red for me and got up out that grave, that's the one I'm worshiping. A black dude and a white dude were arguing about what color was Jesus. They both died in a car accident. They went to heaven, and Jesus said, Que paso? Neither, y'all. I'm Hispanic. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Or yak shamash for the Polish people. He's going to throw you off either way because he's not in that kind of thing. Are you listening? As we heard that description, you know anybody whose eyes are like fire? That's Jesus. You know anybody that's glowing like they just came out the fire and they're metal glowing? That's my Jesus. He doesn't look like us today. Our, our skin couldn't handle it. 
No matter how dark it is, couldn't handle the fire like that. No matter how much melatonin you have in it, you couldn't handle it. Jesus is a spiritual being in physical flesh that looks like nothing in you and I have ever seen. Are you listening? And he put down his life, and he lifted it up. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. John the Apostle is on the island of Patmos, and he gets this revelation. Please go back there, please, uh, quickly to Revelation chapter 1 in closing. What does he get a revelation of a, a glorified Jesus? A Jesus that holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. But what is he going to face in the next few years? Death. Everybody John has raised up as apostles, have raised up disciples, are going to begin to die. See, right now, a lot of young people you hear about in the hip-hop community, you know, people die. See, back in my day, it was Biggie and Pac and them. Now it's, uh, what's that one guy died from L.A.? He, uh, light-skinned guy, used to have cornrows. Who? That gentleman, and, but there was another one I'm thinking of. He was, he, yeah, Nipsey, thank you. Nipsey Hustle. They're dead now. Listen to me. They're dead now. All their money, all their fame, where is it? Where is it? You see, what you and I do is going to be held accountable to that man when we die. And people can pull your car. Murder is a real thing. But not only that, my friend who died last week, was on his way to go preach, and he died in the city he was going to preach in from a sickness. Within 24 hours, think about this, he was going to do what I'm doing right now. Within 24 hours, he's in a hospital, and they send out the message, pray for him. It's desperate. And the next thing that we see is he's gone. So now I got to go to a funeral. Think about that. Somebody can take your life. Sickness can come. We're not promised tomorrow. John is about ready to watch everybody he loves die. The Christians are going to suffer 300 years of persecution under Rome. They're going to get put on, on, on uh, crosses and set ablaze. Put Christians in the Roman arena, please, and get me some of those images there, paintings of Christians being crucified, fires underneath their feet, lions being loosed on them. This is part of Christian history. But the revelation that John got and just put that scripture up a little bit more for me, please. The revelation that John got is that Jesus is alive. The revelation that John got was that Jesus holds the power of death and hell. Are you willing to live in that tension right now? That your Jesus is alive, that he holds the power of death and hell but you may have to face the worst things you have ever faced in your entire life. We often think to ourselves that Christianity is the best way to live because we'll have the most things, we'll have the most stuff, we'll have the most blessings. But what Christianity reminds us of in the Easter story is that Jesus is worth it even if we lose everything. And a person who has already counted that cost cannot be manipulated cannot be uh, distraught, cannot be put into a place where they wish that they would compromise. Lauren, would you help them in the back, please? This idea that Christianity is your ticket up is not what the Bible says. Christians in Roman 
Colosseums. It should come right up. I found it yesterday so quickly. Please and thank you. I want you to see our brothers and sisters and what they had to go through in these artist depictions. Yeah, go ahead and pick this one right here. Get this one right here. Thank you. Christianity for them was not a matter of convenience, was not a matter of making their life easier. It was not about how I can get more friends, get more clients, get more opportunities in life. It was I believe it, and that settles it. That's it, my brother. I believe it, and that settles it. Well, what if we take away everything you love? That's all right. I'll see him in heaven. I've already told my children, if I die like my friend Brandon died, you can do whatever you want at the funeral. Funeral's not for me. I'm in heaven. I don't even know if I'll care what you do. Listen. But I said, you better live for Jesus if you want to see me again. Because you come into my funeral saying, Dad did this and Dad did that, and I'm so sorry Dad can't see my wedding and Dad can't walk me down my aisle and Dad can't watch me graduate. To hell with all of it. Christians understood right at the beginning that if they did this to my Jesus, they'll do it to me. If the world didn't love my Jesus, they won't love me. Now, do we walk around as martyrs? No, you go enjoy the day today. Go be blessed. Go make friends. Amen? Go be prosperous in your business. But once you have resolved this is what your lot is in life, you don't have a fear now, do you? Do you have a fear of death knowing that Jesus holds the keys of death? Do you have a fear of hell now knowing that Jesus holds the keys of hell? No. My son doesn't fear the guns in the house because I got the keys. You understand? Who fears the gun in my house? The one coming without the keys, coming the wrong way. Y'all invited any time, except when I haven't invited you. <laughs> you try to come through the window, you try to come through the garage, it's not a good day for you. Pastor, I thought you were going to pray for me. I will as you get ready to meet him. I'm going to pray to Jesus as you get ready to meet him. Are you listening? And I got my daughters right here. If you want to date them, it's the same thing. You going to meet them, I'm going to jail. You better treat them right. Are you listening? I don't care. Well, can they date a black man? Can they date a Latin? They can date whoever they want as long as they're a man of God. Amen? So shoot your shot, men. But you better shoot it with the Bible in your hand. Pray for church kids. I'm embarrassing them, but I'm keeping them in check. I don't care. Big, small, skinny, athletic, culture, I don't care any of it. The first young man that comes over to my house asking to date my daughter, where's your Bible? Is it hidden in your heart? You're living for Jesus. Because I want you to understand this. When you set this in your heart, it doesn't matter what your high school says about you. It doesn't matter what they say about you on the job. I'm a Christian. I live for Jesus. They crucified my Jesus. They buried my Jesus, but he rose again, and he promised me that new life. When John was suffering and outcasted to an island called Patmos, Jesus said, I'm going to show up and talk to him. Did that take away that man's suffering? No. It just took away any doubt and any fear that he may have. And so, brothers and sisters, thank you for that picture. If we look back at that scripture now in closing as the, the keyboardist comes, please. Do not be afraid. Listen to that scripture one more time. Do not be afraid. Well, Joe, I heard about Brandon. He's a Christian. He's a godly man. I heard he died of one day in a sickness. Listen, do not be afraid. 
Do not live your life in fear of death. Well, Pastor, I heard that they shot up that one church. She was a transgender. She didn't like what they said about them. Pastor, I know we got a lot of enemies just like them. They're going to try to come through here. First, it's going to be different. Tell you that right now. Just first and foremost, it will be different. Can I hear an amen to that? There will be somebody shooting back at a shooter here. Amen. Y'all who do not conceal carry, if it goes down, just hit the deck and let us take care of it. Amen. But pastor, listen, listen. But pastor, I heard that pastor's daughter died. That's right. Put up the daughter that died, the child of the school shooting. Help them, uh, Lauren. They need some help. Thank you. What would that be like for you today, brother, sister? Your child died in that shooting. It would hurt, wouldn't it? But what does the Bible say? Do not be afraid. Imagine going to bury your daughter because of a church shooter. Look at that precious girl. Look at that. Click on this one with her daddy right there. Right there. Came and shot up a church uh, that was being used as a school. Precious little one. She's gone home now. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You can read about our martyrs in Fox's book book of martyrs. Oftentimes when they were giving their lives for Jesus Christ, the persecutors get pleasure out of them screaming and hollering and begging for mercy. But they would notice that the Christians would die singing their hymns. They were reciting their prayers. When those... uh, terrorists of Syria, those Muslim terrorists put those Christians, those Coptic Christians there. They blindfolded them and came by and began to behead them. But a witness said they could be heard reciting the Lord's Prayer. Why? Why would Christians have so much courage? Are we by nature more courageous? No. It's because we have someone that's seen it all and told us not to be afraid. Just imagine the worst situation happening in your life and somebody you trusted looking right at you going, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus is saying to John the Apostle. He's saying, don't be afraid. I don't know what the next years have in in store for us. Would you please put back up the scripture? I don't know what this world's going to try when the election comes around again. Will they pull up that art of riot and mayhem and disease again as they did before? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the intentions of China. I don't know the intentions of people who hate us. Would would a nuclear weapon change everything for America, you know, if it went off overnight? Absolutely. Look what 9-11 did to us. What do you think a nuclear weapon would do? But here's what I hear Jesus saying to us. Whether the next five years are going to be the best years of your entire life or whether or not you'll be dealing with a nuclear fallout, do not be afraid. If you have to be like me and go bury one of your best friends, do not be afraid. Or if you have to bury your daughter who got unjustly taken from this world, do not be afraid. Listen to Jesus here. I am the first and I am the last. He said, I got this whole thing under control. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who was the one making Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground? That was Jesus. Who was the one walking alongside of Abraham? Jesus. Who was the one that was speaking to the prophets? Jesus. Who was the fourth one in the fire when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there? What's his name? Jesus. Who was the one that comforted the disciples as they started to get persecuted and martyred? Who did Stephen say he saw at the right hand of the Father? He said, I saw Jesus. Jesus sitting next to the Father and I'm coming to you. He saw him and I can only imagine what Jesus said back to him as the stones were hitting him from the Jewish leaders as he saw Jesus. Jesus I'm sure looked at him and said don't be afraid. Come on home. As that girl was breathing her last breath, bullet wounds gushing out her precious blood, I could see Jesus saying don't be afraid. You'll be home soon. I can hear him speaking to the disciples that were in those Roman arenas, to the cheers of the crowd, to the spit coming on their face, to the smell of their own burnt flesh, and then within moments seeing him face to face in streets of gold. Jesus said, don't be afraid. I use these extreme examples because if this is what they can go through, brother or sister, you can go through your job loss. You can go through your divorce. You can go through that rebellious teenager or child that you have. You can go through, uh, you know, losing a house. You can go through a sickness or a disease today. I'm showing you the most extreme because I'm telling you, don't be afraid. Jesus said, I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. There is a power today in the name of Jesus that no other religion, no other prophet can give us. It's the one who we need to look to. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes in this Easter service today? Thank you for your patience. And I pray that you've been blessed. But look to Jesus right now. Would you just close your eyes, talk to him in your own words, and say, Jesus, I want to see you. Even if it's not a vision like John, but I want to see you in my heart. I want to hear you speak to me. I want to know this is more than Marvel comic book stuff. I want to know that you're real. Would you change me, Jesus? Because I need help when I go home this week. I need help with my family. I need help in my job, on my job, with my kids in the school. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Come on, talk to him. Father, I pray for every person here to not walk out of here without you, but for everyone to walk out with you in a relationship that honors you and that loves you and that they will walk out of here fearless, oh God. Fearless, because you conquered that which we fear the most. Come on, every head bowed and eyes closed. What do you fear the most? I guarantee you death is in that somewhere. I fear losing my kids. I feel I fear dying. I fear dying alone. I fear this. And it's always about death, isn't it? Listen, whatever that fear is today, Jesus said, fear not. Don't be afraid. Jesus is with you few more moments right now. You can talk to him, and as you do, you can confess your sins, even as we did before during the time of communion. Make sure today you've got all the junk out of your trunk. There is nothing hidden anymore. Jesus, I want you. I need you. Take my life. 
Be my Lord. You showed me how it's done. I'm following you. Ask yourself this week, young people, what would Jesus do? Pray that he'll help you. Father, pray, Lord, I pray that the prayers of these young people would be answered as they ask, what would you do? What would you do? Raise up Davids to take down Goliaths here. Raise up Daniels to go into lion's den and not be afraid, oh God. Bless our young people, oh God. Pray for our moms and dads, Lord, that they'll know you, that they'll know you, that the the fears of this world, oh God, will melt like wax in the presence of your son, Jesus, that no matter what we're facing, we will not have fear overtake us. No matter who likes us, who doesn't, how well it goes for us, we serve you, God. Last few moments, would you talk to him right now in your own words? And then begin to ask him to use your life to impact others. You're not here by accident and you're not here just for yourself. You're here to impact others' lives. You're here to do for others what they did not do for you. You're here to be a father when you didn't have one. You're here to be a mother when you didn't have one. You're here to be a big brother or sister when you didn't have one. You're here to be a generous giver when no one helped you at all. You're here to be a good friend when all your friends left you. You're here to do now for others what others did not do for you. A few moments, ask Jesus to help you to impact this world. Because until they put us on a cross, set our cross on fire, or feed us to wild lions, or until we die of any kind of sickness, we're going to live our lives for Jesus. We're going to live our lives touching others and showing them the love of Jesus. I'm not going to do this afraid. I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it with boldness and with Jesus until I go home to meet him. A few more moments few more moments. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all over our lives. Jesus all over our families. Jesus all over our culture. Come on, come on. People say, where's the church? Where's the church? All those pastors just want money. Show them the church. Show them Jesus. Show them that we're not just here to build cathedrals, that we're not just here to have productions. We're here to have a move of the Spirit. We're here to show them that God's alive, that Jesus is real. Pray for the sick. Cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Get it in your heart today. I'm, not, I'm never going to be the same. I'm not doing this as the, the world does it. I'm doing it different. And Lord, I pray as we do, as this church does, Father, that, Lord, we can come back together, Lord willing, should you tarry and we all be alive, and we come back next week, that we'll say we have lived a fearless life that we have lived a courageous life, that we have lived the life that you gave us, and we have no regrets, for Jesus is our example. And if we must be forgiven, we will be forgiven, only to get back up and try again so that we can live this life you gave us 100% for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless him today, saints? Would you stand up to your feet? Altar workers and band are going to come.